Hey, what's up? Hello, this is Admin Cubana coming back at you with another episode of the Unladylike Lounge podcast. And today I am joined by the lovely Avni. Avni, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. No, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you coming to share your knowledge and expertise with us. Um, Why don't you take a second, go ahead and brag on yourself. Let us know what we'll be talking about today. My name is Avni Panchal. I go by the Indian Counselor on YouTube. So anyone who wants to subscribe on the channel, please do so. Um, There's uh, all content around mental health related, um, specific to Indian culture, although I have learned as a person of color, a lot of relevance is there, even if you're not a South Asian person. So I go by the Indian counselor on any of the social media platforms. I am a therapist and a coach. I call myself an empowerment and a relationship coach. I've been in the mental health field, not counting my undergrad and all postmasters. I've been in this field for about 11, 12 years. So it's actually been a little longer if I count undergrad. And this is definitely my calling my passion. I've worked in various different roles, whether it's social worker, therapist, coach, trainer, supervisor. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation on mental health today. Awesome. Awesome. That is incredible. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Obviously, it goes without saying right now, there is, you know, so, so much need for for resources in the mental health field and just the fact that you know you have a passion for for that field of work it's it just thank you so much for for the work that you do um so i'm going to kick right off into the questions can trauma especially in childhood affect future social and romantic relationships if so how a hundred percent yes absolutely um and i will back up a little bit more because I know there's a lot of stigma around mental health, especially as a woman, woman of color. So I just want to name that first. And then there's even more of a stigma when it comes to trauma, because oftentimes people think trauma is abuse or neglect or assault. And that is absolutely true. I'm not undermining that at all. And trauma can also mean impact. So even if it was something as small, if you will, on your teacher saying something negative, even though someone might not qualify as trauma, if you had an impact from that situation, that is trauma. So I just want to name that first. But yes, when we do talk about trauma, I am also thinking about assault and abuse and neglect, because that has also been my experience. And I don't want to undermine anyone who's like, well, mine doesn't qualify because it's not trauma. If you had an impact, then that was trauma. So there's that piece. Um, And yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you that trauma definitely plays an impact on just how we move in life, what decisions we make, what decisions we may not make. And it absolutely goes into our relationships, into our work relationships, into our friendships. Because if you think about it, if we did not feel like our emotional needs were met from Mm -hmm. the caregivers that were raising us, whether it was our parents or family members or anyone else who was caring for us, if we didn't feel that our needs were met, we psychologically started believing that our needs are not good enough or that we're not worthy, we're not deserving. And there's no way we don't take that into adulthood. 
There is absolutely no way that we don't take that in adulthood. And when you think about relationships, romantic relationships, to your example, oftentimes we're looking for someone who's going to value us for who we are, see us for who we are, and, you know, hopefully we're showing up authentically and they're accepting us authentically. And that requires risk. That requires vulnerability. That requires us to step into the discomfort. But if I've never had the lived experience where I felt like I could, you know, take the risk and someone provided me with my needs, I'm going to be a lot more cautionary in trusting. I'm going to be a lot more cautionary in taking a risk. So oftentimes, and this is not to say that this is the only way that it shows up, but sometimes because of our trauma, if you are triggered, even if that's not the reality in your current situation, if you simply perceive the situation to be anywhere relevant to what was in your past, in your childhood experience, you are immediately going to have walls up. And you are immediately going to sit and think this person is doing the same thing that, you know, XYZ person in my past is doing. And unless we're slowing down in that moment, unless we're saying, hold up, this person isn't doing the same thing, or this person isn't like my ex who, you know, cheated on me or harmed me, we will kind of repeat the same pattern because now we're putting a wall and saying, I don't want to get close to anybody because I can't trust the world. So that's one way that trauma shows up. And there's so many other ways that trauma can also show up in just different relationships and different areas of our life. For sure. For sure. And I, I appreciate that example because I, I feel like that is one that I commonly see amongst our unladies as, as an example. Um, and we try to remind each other as, as our, our tribe, as we say, to, to, Hey, slow down in this moment and try to remember that this is not, this, this is not, you know, X, Y, Z. And it, so it, it means a lot more coming from someone who is professional in this, in this field. And whoo, just that one, that (laughs) one took me for a loop right there. What can we do to heal these past traumas and put a stop to the cycles? Yeah. Um, so I am a very big believer in self-compassion and I know that's a buzzword. So I will break it down for people because, <laughs> you know, mindfulness, self-love, self-care, all of these are buzzwords and I'm huge proponent of every single one of them. And the practical in me is, well, what does that mean? So sure. self-compassion to me really is providing the context in that situation. So if you are someone that was triggered, instead of thinking about what is wrong with you, what was happening? What triggered you? What about that situation looks similar to you than your past? Because oftentimes our brains are, it's sorting because there's so much stimuli coming our way. It's sorting really quickly. And so it has only seen five or 10% of something and made it 50 to 80% of the other thing because it's sorting very quickly. And it's up to us to slow down and say, hold up, this is actually five or 10%. So this, even this notion of how do we stop this? I like to think about it as how do we manage this? Because I don't know if our triggers will one day all go away and will never be triggered because- I mean, it's going to be there, but how do we manage it? And so one of the things that I've done personally, and I tell my clients as well, is 
really allowing yourself and I think of it like a set of reminders, if you will, on what would you want to remind yourself in that moment when you're triggered? Is it the fact like this person isn't doing the same thing as my other situation or how much of the situation is similar to another situation? What's the difference here? Can I actually ask a question before I make a statement? Because if I'm making a statement, I'm not really leaving room for conversation. Because in those moments, we're going to speed up the conversation because I'm triggered and I no longer want to be in this conversation. So we're starting with statements. So how do we start with a question instead so we could be curious? So those would be two or three steps that I would say to start with. And, And the underlying theme of that, if you will, for me is constantly reminding ourselves that this is a different situation if it truly is a different situation we really want to remind ourselves of that because believe me I have been there personally too in my own relationship where you know I came from a another relationship that was a little traumatic and this one wasn't that and I have to constantly remind myself like hold up off me your partner isn't trying to hurt you. This isn't the same thing. Because in that moment, I really want to fight. Like, I'm yes. like, I want to argue. I want to have a conversation. Yes. I want to fight. And and in my mind, I've already gone to, this is the same as past. And so I have to constantly yes. remind myself and repeat over and over again, this isn't the same situation. So that would be the underlying theme, I would say. Absolutely. it's It's almost as if, our our survival instincts kick in and then it's it's as as you were you know coming to the the fight or flight kind of instincts and it's like okay we we don't have to go there it's it's okay we are we're in a safer space take the time slow down breathe it's okay we're we're okay um what does self-care look like and why is it so important self-care is absolutely important and especially as a person of color as a woman of color, if you've immigrated to this country, there is a stigma around taking care of yourself because there is this sort of hustler mentality, if you will, on we just got to keep going and there's no time for rest. That feels selfish. But the reality is we're going to burn ourselves out and it's not sustainable. So if we really want to do the things we want to do in the long run, we have to take a break, we have to rest and recover. And I give an example to my clients, for instance, like if you took a job, if the job told you you're working 24 seven, you're going to be working 365 days a week, you have no holidays or break, you would probably not take the job. But it has built in like, oh, weekends are off or bank holidays are off and you only work these hours. That's because they're trying to sustain your schedule long term and keep you there longer Mm -hmm. rather than you just working all day every day. So self-care for me is really how have you created those moments of breaks in your schedule, if you will. And break could look, you know, many different ways. It could look a simple I'm taking five minutes to drink water and just get off the screen or I'm taking a 15, 20 minute walk. Or I'm, you know, going outside and sitting in the sun. 
or I'm reaching out to a friend, or I'm reading a book that I really want to read, or a podcast that I really want to listen to. So self-care looks different for different people based on what is it that you enjoy, what is it that brings you that like moment of I'm filling my cup up, if you will. Um, So there are different things for different people, but there has to be some inbuilt moments, if you will, during your schedule where you're taking care of yourself. Self-care also includes sleep. Are you sleeping well? Are you, you know, reaching out to friends when you really need support? And I also talk about self-care. It has self-care in my mind comes with the marriage of self-compassion. Because if I am going for a nice little walk or talking to a friend or cooking a nice healthy meal for myself, and I'm constantly in the background telling myself everything I've done wrong, all the ways that I'm criticizing and judging myself, that self-care is like a glass with all these holes and the water keeps coming up. And so I really think of self-care as also having a moment of self-compassion, of recognizing yeah, I had a really stressful week this week, or I'm really exhausted. And that's okay. Because there can't be the let me take care of myself and go work out. But I'm constantly in the background telling myself everything that I'm doing wrong. For sure, for sure. And I I love the way you put that as far as filling your cup, because as we know, we cannot pour from an empty cup. And and that includes ourselves. We have to give ourselves some grace. We really do. And without that, we we are going to burn out so quickly, so, so quickly. Let's talk mental health. What can we do to open up the conversation surrounding mental health, especially in in the community of, of color? I, it seems to be so stigmatized within, in whether it's, you know, one thing that I've noticed is, especially in, in urban communities, it, it just seems like we're taught not to have that bit of, as if my audience can see me, the air quotes, that weakness, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can we do to open up that conversation and, and kind of break the stigma? Yeah, and that is so real. It's real in my culture. It's real in you know, the conversations I've had with my friends and colleagues who are of color. This is a real conversation. There's this notion that asking for help is weak. It is a sign of weakness. Or the fact that if I can't do this all on my own, then it must mean that there's something wrong with me. The reality is, we're all asking for some sort of help. But we quantify certain things as help. And certain things are not quantified as help. So for instance, if you went to a new city and you asked your friends who happen to live there, hey, give me some good restaurant recommendations, you don't qualify that as help. But that's exactly what you did. If I now had you ask your friend about, hey, I'm struggling, can you chat? Now there's a level of stigma, not even the same of you asking for restaurant recommendations, because now this is seen in a different category. So I would even challenge our notion of asking for help because we do it more than we realize. We just Mm -hmm. qualify certain things as this is okay and this is not okay, but we ask for help all the time. We just don't qualify it the same way. Um, And so first and foremost, I really, you know, I'm 
trying this in my own professional career. And that was part of the reason of starting the YouTube channel is really breaking this notion of asking for help is a sign of weakness because that is not true at all. And the reality is like, we're all going through something. It's varying degrees depending on your lived experience, but there's no way that no one is, I don't know a person that I have met in my career or personally that says I'm completely fine and nothing is going wrong. Like I just haven't, I've yet to meet that person. So if you are around, please, please come show your face. But I haven't met that person, right? And, And so I really, my hope and my goal in stepping out and having these conversations with like your podcast or other podcasts as well is, really starting to normalize the fact that we're all going through something and we kind of have this facade or delusion if you will on like I'm the only one going through this and no one else is going through this and I'm here to burst that bubble like believe me and I've met clients from all different walks of life in my career and I can tell you everyone is going through some varying degree of something Oh, and so absolutely. that's my first notion. That's my first hope is to really normalize this conversation. And then my hope, because I'm very big on, you know, the one-on-one piece, like what can I do individually? Because sometimes, especially for us as individuals, this notion of changing culture um, and conversations around mental health in culture can feel so big. And then we yes. don't start. My hope as an individual is that, you start in your circle. If someone brings up, I had a really rough day, instead of putting them down or instead of making fun of that, can you be that person that asks a question of how come? Tell me more. Because what you're doing in your little circle then is you're normalizing the conversation and hopefully that then expands outside your circle. And so that can be a conversation. It could also be a moment where if you're going through something that you would be a little bit, allow yourself to be a little bit more uncomfortable and talk to that friend or confident that you trust will hold that space for you and reach out. So they then can recognize oh, this is normal for me to also ask for help when, the next time if I'm going through that. So on an individual level, there is things that we can do in, in how do we normalize that in our circles. And as a collective, I'm hoping that then, you know, increases it times 10 by 100,000 uh, and really change the conversation. Oh, for sure. For sure. Where, Ami, can my audience find more of your work in case they missed it at the beginning and follow follow more of your tips for mental health and, and more of your story? Absolutely. The best way would be to follow me on YouTube. So please subscribe to my channel at The Indian Counselor. And then I also have an Instagram and TikTok page, same handle at The Indian Counselor for people to follow me on different social media platforms. But the best way would be my YouTube channel because that's where I update most of my content, tips, videos, things of that nature. Perfect. And everybody, never fear. I will drop that in the description box below. Make sure you go like, follow, subscribe, all the things. Omni, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us some insight into mental health and the stigma around it and how we can be better confidants and 
open up the conversation. And for our audience members, as you know, to our on ladies, ladies and gentlemen alike, I love y'all fiercely.